Amen. Amen. So I want to start this morning by asking the question, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Why don't you turn to someone next to you and say, why don't we pray? Why don't we seek Him? Why don't we pray and talk with God? You know, it's almost insanity that most of us who have made a confession to follow Jesus at some point in our lives then would go forward and in that relationship have no dialogue. That would be the craziest relationship that I've ever seen. You know, imagine doing that with your wedding. You get married on this big day, the wedding day comes along, and you get married, and then from that day forward, you decide never, ever, ever again to talk to one another. Yeah, I don't. I hope that's no one here. <laughs> anyway, but that is what it is, could be like if we were to never talk to God in prayer. It would be like having this wedding and then not doing anything after it. But prayer and talking to God is what one of the most richest, most amazing things that our Christian walk has to offer. There's something special about you and God. No one can do anything with it. No one can rob anything from that. When you have God in your life and you pray to Him, something amazing takes place. Scripture says in Hebrews 4, 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So God has told us that we can come boldly to His throne. We don't have to shy away. We can come boldly and obtain His mercy and come directly to Him. We have access. And Ephesians 2.18 says, For though through Him we have both access, our access and one spirit to the Father. So in those two scriptures alone, God tells us we can come boldly to Him and we have complete access to Him. So in other words, there's no reason that we can't come to God. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what kind of life you've lived. It doesn't matter about any of those sorts of things. We can come to God. We can have access to Him. In contrast to other world religions or other things that are out there, you don't have to scale some height. You don't have to step through a whole lot of hoops before you can get to God. You don't have to achieve some state of mindfulness before you have access to God. You don't have to follow a whole lot of patterns or routines. God has given you access. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go to confession. You don't even have to come to me. Well, if you want to come to me, I'll talk to you. But you can go to God directly. I love that. Who loves that? You don't need to do all those things. It's gone. God has given you access, and he says to come boldly. So why don't we go boldly? The question still remains, why don't we pray? Because if you're like me, and I hope some of you are, we just don't sometimes pray. You know, he's given us this access. And I've got three reasons I just want to list this morning before we talk about prayer. Number one is, Satan doesn't want you to pray. There is an enemy, and he's not interested in you praying to God. In fact, you can come to church, and he'll put up with it. You can tithe, and he'll actually be okay with it. You can uh, go on a missions trip and do a lot of good stuff, and you know, he won't like it. But if you pray to God, if you start seeking God and be in communion with the Holy Spirit and with God, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it, and he's an enemy, and he doesn't want you to do it. And, uh, you know, Satan can't destroy you, but he can corrupt that which God has made. And so he will seek to corrupt your prayer life. Jesus knew this, so he prayed for every believer in John 17, verse 15, where it says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, this is Jesus praying for believers, but to keep them from the evil one. So Jesus was aware that the enemy would try and have a go at our prayer life try and have a go at our relationship with God. So he prayed for you and for me, for every son and daughter that would call him Christ, that we would be kept from the evil one. So we need each other's prayers. Jesus prayed for you and for me, but there's others that need your prayers for the things that we face. Everywhere you turn in this world, 
there is evil. Everywhere you turn at the moment, there are things that are corrupt that are happening in our world. Would you agree? This morning, there are things happening in our society, in our families. There are dark things taking place in our schools, in our world, in our nation, in our neighborhoods at the moment. And we need the prayers of faithful people to pray. The Bible says that your prayers are powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. If you think about that, there are strongholds taking place, you know, maybe in our lives or maybe in the lives of people we care about right now. And, you know, we could probably try and do a lot of things to bring those strongholds down. God has given us one major weapon, and he has said that your prayers are powerful to bringing down those strongholds. So the enemy knows this, and he will try, and he will try and stop you. And how does he do this? I think for me, the biggest thing he does is try and distract me. He just tries and distract. Who's been praying? You know, you've been praying for something. You've gone into your prayer room or wherever you go to pray. And you're like, right, I'm going to pray for my family. I'm just going to pray. Man, I'm going to pray. And literally two minutes in, and you're like, man, I think I need a hot dog. I really need a flat white. <clears throat> or if you really love coffee, maybe I just need a fresh brew uh, or whatever it is they call it. You know, yeah, okay, I'm not that fancy. But you start going into your prayer mode, and then before you know it, you're human, man. You're just like me. You're like, oh, God, I thought I was spiritual. But then you realize your mind just starts going in all these places. And it's so easy to get distracted. But the truth is, is that God has said, he's told us this because he knows. If we get distracted, our prayers, they're like arrows. You know, and he doesn't want those arrows just to just shoot out and then fall to the ground. Just shoot out a little bit, but then kind of miss the mark. And like those prayers, they have power in them. They have a purpose. Your prayers make a difference. You know, when I was praying for my cousin, I was praying, believing that that call was going to take place because I knew he needed to be there. You know, I was praying in the will of God. and that. So the enemy knows he'll try and distract you. Number two is we have not prioritized prayer. Ouch. Oh, man. Turn to someone next to you and say, prioritize prayer. Yeah, prioritize that. You know, actually, we've elevated, the truth is we've eleva- elevated, start again. We have elevated other parts of our life over prayer. Honestly, we have. Even in the church, we've elevated other things over prayer. And the truth is, is that Isaiah 56, 7 says, For my house shall be called a house of prayer, a house of prayer. It, not, it won't be called a house of worship. It shouldn't be called a house of feeding the poor. Those things are great, by the way. But it's called a house of prayer. Because when it's a house of prayer, all those things start following in the order that God wants. When it's a house of prayer, God raises people up with a godly burden to do all of those things. But you can do a lot of good and forget to actually have communion with God and that prayer life with God. You know, Jesus repeated those words when he drove out the marketplace salesmen in the temple courts. That's how serious he was about prayer. And while we can look at um, blaming others in this or looking at the church, you know, we probably need to assess, is there areas in our own lives where we are completely prayerless? And I'm, honestly, there's, I know that there are areas in my life where I've just been completely prayerless over times. And I've really had to go to God and go, God, you know, I haven't even been praying that. And I remember hearing a different testimony from one of our members in our church and asking him about his kids and how he'd pray for his kids. And I was like, man, you pray for them every day. I need to do that. I don't want to be prayerless in this area. And I just hadn't prioritized it in my life. And, you know, so if we're honest, there probably is something in our life at the moment that's giving us grief. And the question is, have we prioritized prayer to deal with that? 
You know that issue you're facing at work or maybe with a visa issue or something else. Have we prioritized prayer and made that the first point of call, the first place we go to, rather than do a whole lot of other things, which are really, really good, but actually it starts with prayer. Remember, his house shall be called a house of prayer. Where's the house? It's right here. You are the house. You are where God dwells. Your whole, his Holy Spirit dwells in you. And when you become a house of prayer, you become a living verb of that word. You start living out a house of prayer, and a weapon forms against you will prosper. But also, you will start prospering. Because when you prioritize prayer, God puts things in his order and in his timing. So number one is that there is an enemy, Satan. He doesn't want you to pray, so don't get distracted. Number two is prioritize prayer. Make your house a house of prayer. And three is cynicism. Cynicism. I'm not cynical. But I believe, you know, we are all surrounded by an age of cynicism. Cynicism looks for the cracks in our faith instead of looking for the presence of Jesus. You know, society has lumped God and faith and right and wrong and absolutes in this whole realm of not real. Would you agree with that? Society's lumped all those things into a thing saying they're not fact, they're not real, so therefore they don't apply to our lives. You know, I was reading into this a lot, and I don't have time to explain it this morning, but when you go back over history, prayer and faith in God was alive through every culture, everywhere. There was a spiritual element to a people group. You go back and search through history, every part of it, there was some element of faith or spirituality, whether it was good or bad, but there was there. In the last 200 years in our secular society, it's just been downplayed and downplayed and downplayed until it completely is removed from every part of our everyday life. You know, why is Christ taken out of Christmas and Easter and all those things in New Zealand? It's because we're just becoming a more and more and more secular nation. You know, so at the moment, I believe that the age of religion we live in is cynicism, skepticism. Is that really true? And, you know, you go back to Eve in the garden. That's where it all started when Satan came and said to Eve, did God really say that? Did God really say that about the fruit? You know, that's where it all started, but it's so alive and well today. And, uh, you know, there's so many things that I find that we, uh, we live in a place in a, in a, where we almost have to justify everything about God. It's true. And yet those that don't believe in God, don't place any value on faith or right or wrong or absolutes, uh, it's almost like they, they have a way or a trumpet to go forth. But I believe that God has not finished with New Zealand. He wants these dry bones to live again. He wants his trumpet call to be louder than any other voice, any other speaker, any other thing that's coming through. And so I believe that that's why we need to go again in prayer and come back to prayer and get away from cynicism. So, you know, to get out of cynicism, we really need Jesus to lead us out. We need him to lead us out of that. So that is how we come to how do we pray? How do we pray? So I just want to go through a few things that Jesus offered us uh, in the life of prayer and modeling off his life. So Mark 1, if you've got your Bible or your phone, uh, you can go to that scripture in Mark 1, verse 35 to 38. And this gives us some insight. So let's just read that this morning. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. And he went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Jesus got up early. Everyone say early. Early. You know, his days were so busy 
but he took the time early in the morning to spend with his father. And this is such a good habit for us to cultivate as well. You know, talking to our Heavenly Father first thing in the morning is not a matter of convenience, but of necessity. Can I say, you know, if, I get, if you get up early and you need to go on the motorway in Auckland, you need to pray because I don't want you hitting my car or my bike, just saying. If you're on the motorway or you're on Great North Road, you need prayer before you get in that vehicle. If you're a student and you want to pass your exams, you need to pray. You need to press into God. You know, and really seriously, if you support the Springboks or the Blues, you need to pray. In fact, I would go all night, all night in prayer. Jesus did all night prayer meetings. You know, I encourage you, go all the way. If that is on your heart's desire, you need to seek God. But seriously, if the Son of Man needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? How much more do we need to seek God? So he got up early. And you know, I understand people have shift work, those sorts of things. It doesn't always work that way. But the principle behind it is he got up. He got up. Whether he got up in the night, he got up in the morning, he got, he got up and he prayed. And so wherever you're at, I encourage you, follow the life of Jesus. Get up to pray. Secondly, he went to a secluded place. You know, since Jesus was surrounded by crowds all day, he needed a place where he could pray and be, be not disturbed. And so do we. Where is your secluded place? Where do you have? Do you have a place that is just you and God, a sacred place just for you and God to meet? Is there a room in your house or a corner in your house that you can turn in to a prayer corner? You know, I heard recently a guy speaking on prayer, and he said that when they had this little apartment, little room, and he was, he was early in ministry, he didn't have anywhere to go, so he got this mat, and he just put it in the corner of their house, and he would go to this mat, and he would you know, get on his knees and he'd cry out to God and he just made that his little corner for praying to God. And I guess the thought is, is that, you know, sometimes we need to go a little bit further than what, we need to go a little bit further. We need to go that extra mile. We need to be so intentional about, intentionable, intentional about making prayer a position in our life, making prayer a place that we go. And I don't know if any of you have ever seen that movie, The War Room. And in that movie, you know, this lady, she, she clears out the whole closet full of clothes and other stuff and clears it out. And she makes it a place where she can go to do war. To, she can go to, 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 to pray, to reach out to God, to ask God to intervene. And it's a powerful movie, but I love the thought of having a room, a prayer room, a prayer room, a war room, somewhere where you can meet with God. And, you know, that's so important. There's something about you that God is so interested in. You know, there's something about you and God that no one else can rob. And he's so, he's so protective of that. He wants that. He knows that if you can get that, then he's got something amazing in your life, something sacred with him and with you in your life. And, you know, for me, my lately, my prayer place has been just prayer walking uh, out, on the, out along the boardwalk where we live in Tiatatu. And, you know, I'll just try and get out every morning or sometimes in the evening if I can't get out in the morning. But I go for a walk and... I, first of all, I get out of a house of four kids, <coughs> just saying, so it's way less noisy. And then secondly, uh, you know, I'm just undistracted, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking about that plasterboard that needs a bit more paint because I've, you know, done a bad job of it and I need to do it again. Uh, I'm not thinking about my phone or anything else or, uh, you know, or uh, all the 10 things that Katie needs for me to do for her that moment. And uh, she doesn't need those 10 things. She, she's She's, yeah, she's, she's amazing, actually. But I, you know, I'm not distracted by anything. It's so easy to get distracted. 
It is so easy. So I get out and I go on this prayer walk, and that's my time with God and spending that time with Him. So I encourage you this morning, the two things of Jesus' life that we can all learn from is to get up and to go to that place. Find that place that you need and get into God. And so, you know, Jesus has given, Jesus has given us the blueprint for praying. For praying. And, uh, you know, don't think for a minute, just because myself or Pastor Grayson or Pastor Tark, uh, you know, been in ministry that we have a monopoly on prayer like Jesus did. I am just like you. I find it difficult at times to pray, you know, especially sometimes when you're tired or you've had sleeplessness or you've been stressing about something. Uh, But as someone once said, the definition of stupidity is to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results. You know, I need to meet with God. I need Him to intervene in areas. I need His presence. And if I want that, sometimes I have to do things a bit differently. I have to go to the extent of reaching and calling out to Him. And therefore, let no excuse get in the way. Uh, Charles Stanley, he heard God say to him once as he was praying and reaching out to God in the corner of his house, whatever you want to achieve in this life will be accomplished on your knees before your heavenly Father. Let me say that again. Whatever you want to achieve in this life will be accomplished on your knees before your heavenly Father. That's really challenging today, you know, when our life are fast-paced, when, you know, when getting on our knees is probably not the first thing that comes to mind following Christ, but sometimes we have to get on our knees. You know, the Bible actually talks about um, five positions of prayer, standing, sitting, with our hands raised to God, on our knees, and the last position is on our face, flat before God. And there's a few times where scriptures point out on our face before God. You know, some situations in our lives require us to be flat on our face before God. You know, maybe if you're facing something and you just can't seem to get that breakthrough that you know God has promised you, maybe it's time to go flat on your face before God. I've done that before, eh? When things have just been, uh, you know, overwhelming or challenges that you seem are just beyond what you think you can handle, and you just feel like there's no other way but to actually just sprawl out on before your face before God and just say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the solution is, but I trust in you, and I'm crying out to you. And, you know, sometimes in that desperation, God sees your heart. But I encourage you, you know, if you need to go to that place, be willing. Be willing to humble yourself and cry out to God. You know, when we were um, growing up in Christchurch uh, with my family of uh, four kids and two step sisters and brothers and mum and dad, and we had a big house. And I remember one day when my dad was a builder, and uh, it was in the 90s, I think, there was a big recession or something happened. And anyway, there wasn't a lot of work going on. And, uh, and he'd built this home, and it couldn't sell. And um, for whatever reason, this house wasn't able to sell, and mum was working. And I remember them coming home one night, and we were in the lounge, and uh, mum came in, and she, and she got all of our brothers and sisters together, and she said, okay, kids, we, uh, we need God to give us some money because we don't have any money to pay the mortgage tomorrow. So we're all going to get down on our knees, and we're all going to hold hands, and we're going to pray and cry out to God. And, uh, and you know what? I don't know what we prayed. I don't even remember really what happened. I guess God came through because we didn't lose a house. And, uh, and I don't remember much about it, but I remember getting on our knees. And I remember the urgency in my mum's voice saying we need to pray and cry to God. And I remember those moments. And, you know, sometimes those are the moments when you have a prayer corner, where you have a place with God 
You remember those moments. You go back to those moments. Because when you face another trial, you can say, no, 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 God met me in that place when I was on my knees, when I was in my prayer corner, when I faced this other challenge or trial. No, no, God's character, his, his provision, it came through for me there. So therefore, I can trust in him. And your faith starts to build because you can believe in God for the things that are here. That's why it's so important to have that place of prayer because it creates those memories. It creates those moments where you remember the faithfulness of God. You know, when, when we're just praying haphazardly and randomly all the time, and I've done that before, but, but it creates no sense of an ongoing tracking of God doing something. It creates no sense of a longevity of God's faithfulness. So I encourage you, you know, if you need to put that into practice in your life, just to be willing to go there. And I just want to share this morning on three keys that I believe really help have a praying life uh, this morning. So the first one is be specific. Be specific in your prayer requests. There's a great story of um, Abraham's servant. And uh, Abraham's servant, you know, he's told by Abraham to go out and to find a wife for his son, Isaac. I like the story because it talks about going out and finding a son for his wife. And I'm like, man, I'm going to try this. <clears throat> when my kids get older, I'm going to say, okay, servant, <laughs> go out and find my, I don't want to stress about this. I don't want to pull my hairs out and get a shotgun license. Just go out and find a wife for my daughter. So I kind of like some of these things that used to be, I'd like to implement some, this is what I'm saying. Some of these Old Testament things are great, man. Bring them back in. Go and find a wife for me. I, I need to sit, not for me. <laughs> Go and find a wife for my daughter. <clears throat> Go and find a wife. This is what it needs to be. He needs to be good. No, anyway, I like the story. <laughs> not part of the story. All right. So be specific. So Abraham sends his servant to go and find a wife for Isaac. Some of you might have done this. I don't know. That's all I'm saying. And, uh, and he, he charges him and he says, go to, and Abraham's servant is thinking, what if it doesn't happen? What if I go all the way to this country and I don't find them and they're not there and all that? And he's thinking, gosh, this is, this is all on me. This is all on me. I mean, this is Abraham. You know, I need to come through here. And there's this great moment where he stops on his journey and he prays to God. And this is how he prays. He says, then, the, then he prayed, Lord, God of my master, Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master, Abraham. See, I'm standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to this young woman, please let the jar down and may I have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you've chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he finished praying, I love those moments in the Bible. Before he finished praying, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder. How specific is that request? You know, how accurate is that request? And I love the story because it teaches us something about prayer. Oh God, I really, really need to pass my exam. How much by? 50%? 60%? What do you want to get? Where do you want to get in your exam next week? Oh, God, I really need a new job. Okay, what kind of job do you want? Oh, just a job. No, no, no. God's made you a certain way. He's got talents and gifts. He's skilled you. He's equipped you. He's positioned you. What kind of job do you want? Be specific. God is so interested in your life. Be specific because he's waiting there. He's a good father, and he wants to answer your requests. And, you know, the servant was specific, and he gave him success because his motives were right. You know, he just wanted to honor his master. James, uh, James 4.3 says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. 
You only want to get it on your own pleasures. You know, God points out when emotives are right, God wants to give us success. So I encourage you, church, be specific about your prayer requests. Think about that for those that you work with. You know, this servant, he was serving Abraham. Where are you in your work life? You know, if you're working at the moment, be specific. Do you want your job to go well? Do you want your boss to do well? Do you want your company to do well? This story teaches us in some ways that you can have influence over the place you work. You can have influence over those you work under, those you work over, and those you work alongside with. Your prayers can actually change the atmosphere and the place that you work. And when you pray specifically, you know, oh, man, God, I really want to see a change in my boss's character. Oh, God, I pray, make me more humble so that, you know, God, I can just shine your light. Oh, Lord, I pray for a pay rise, and I I know I need this much. You know, be specific because God is interested in the detail, you know. And I uh, I just encourage you with that story, man. A while ago, my brother-in-law gave his heart to God, and I remember praying specifically for him that he would hit rock bottom. Now, I wouldn't normally pray that, but I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, this is what I want you to pray. The Bible says that when you pray in the Spirit, God shapes your prayers. He, he, He intercedes for you. And when I started praying, I felt immediately God say, pray that he will hit rock bottom. And you know, it's not that he hit rock bottom and then he bottomed out. It's that God wanted to pick him up, but he needed to hit the bottom first before he realized that God was what he needed. And you know, we prayed that prayer in faith, and that's exactly what happened. And then God started building his life again. So, you know, I encourage you, be specific in your prayer requests for your work, for those that you're praying for to come to Christ. And number two is to go again. Everyone say, go again. Go again. Jesus tells this great story about the friend at midnight. Um, now, we've got a video for this. Have you guys got that there just in the schedule about the friend at midnight? Can we play that? It's really old school. It's old, like, cartoon, but I thought it was hilarious. So, it's is our best and only weapon. Well, what's the point? I mean, God knows what we want. How many more times does he need to hear it? A thousand more. Jesus told a story about that once. Seems there was a man who went to his friend in the middle of the night. Erastus, I need your help. Erastus! What in the devil's name are you doing? Nothing in the devil's name, I assure you. What? Yes, I, 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 uh, 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 some friends of mine just showed up. They traveled a long way. Wonderful. Tell them I said hi. Wait! I, I, I don't have anything. Shh! My family is sleeping. Oh, I, I'm so, I'm so, right, right, right. Look, some friends of mine showed up, and I have no bread to feed them. How many times have I told you to keep extra bread in the house? Why should I? You always have enough. Erastus, are you there? Erastus! Look, there is a family sleeping here. Everyone is sleeping. Everyone except you. Yes, everyone except for me. Well, since you're up, can I borrow some bread? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now go back to bed. You need your sleep, you know. You see, 
man who comes in the middle of the night is given what he asks for. So long as he wants it enough to keep asking. I never thought of it that way. Erastus! <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, cool. I love that last part, and that, uh, that story of the friend where Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread, but because of your friendship, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And, uh, you know, it teaches a lot about the relationship that God desires for us in prayer. You know, we, he desires for us to be in need of him. We need to be in need of God. He desires for us to be dependent on him and even fully relying on him. And I think of it a little bit like this. A teenager is in need of their parents. Oh, I need something, mum. Need some money. Have you got any money? Yeah, okay, son. All right, you know. Teenagers are in need of their parents. I don't have any, but I assume that's true. Uh, a preschooler is dependent on their parents. You know, they need their parents for so many things. Food, uh, everything else, everything else. They need them for them. And uh, a newborn baby is fully reliant on their mum to get through. And, you know, those different aspects of being in need of God. God is teaching us that's the kind of relationship he wants. He wants us to be in need. He's a God that responds to that dependency on him. We're never meant to do life independent of God, you know. And, man, that's what the world would try and tell you. You don't need God. You don't need to pray. Man, you're, you're, you're your own God. That's the message you get in the world. But God has said, no, you need me. You need to be dependent on me. And so to be in need means to be, you know, in his hands and actually interested in what God wants. And, that, and to be dependent on him is to be like a preschooler, depending on him for everything that we need. And, uh, and, that, and, you know, even, you know, for things like, are you dependent on God for areas of your life? Are there places where God is calling the shots? Or are you actually figuring it out yourself? You know, will God work things out for you this year? If, if God wasn't in the picture in your life this year, will things be okay? Will things work out? You know, that's a scary thought. Maybe we need to actually reassess where do we need God to come through? Where do we need to be dependent on Him? And, uh, and, that, and, you know, fully relying on him means that there may be things that we just completely need to trust the shepherd for. Like in the valley, like Psalm 23, when we go through the valley and we can feel the, the shadow of death around us, but the shepherd is with us, guiding us through and being fully dependent on him. And, you know, God has some incredible promises for you when you pray to God. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will Fine, knock and the door will be. See, God loves you so much, He wants to hear your prayers. And, uh, you know, He doesn't promise to give you everything you want, but He does promise to be there. He promises to be there. God wants to do something bigger than simply answer my prayers. The act of praying draws God into my life and begins to pray, change me, the prayer. And the third point I want to do this morning, just as I finish, is to grow in silence. And this is a little bit different than the rest. But, you know, sometimes when God is silent and our prayers go unanswered, the overwhelming temptation is to leave the story, to leave the door and to stop knocking. But when we persist in that spiritual vacuum, when we hang in there in those times of silence, we get to know God so much more. In fact, that's actually how intimacy grows in any relationship, is when you hang in there, when there's silence, when there's moments you don't understand, when there's things that you can't comprehend or it doesn't seem logical. That's where the deepening happens in our lives. You know, many years ago, we tried to sell our house when the global financial collapse happens, and I cried out to God, 
They said, Lord, sell our house. We really need it to sell. Interest rates are like 10%. We can't afford our house. God, you need to come through. And short story was we couldn't sell our house. We had to move out. We got it renters in. We lived with my parents-in-laws. Jesus, no. And it was awesome, actually. They cooked all the food. They did all the washing. It was great. And, um, and that. But in the end, God, he kept our house. And man, I'm glad we kept our house after 2009. Because today, we would not be in the position we were if we hadn't of kept our house. So God knows the bigger story. He's always weaving a bigger story. And sometimes we don't have all the answers. I certainly don't have all the answers, but I do know the nature of God. And I just want to read you a couple of scriptures that are on the screen there. Numbers 23. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Psalm 116.5. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. The question really isn't, why doesn't God answer my prayer? It's more if you take all that you know is good and right and holy and precious and awesome about God in one hand, and you take your doubts and your fears and everything you can't explain in the other, and you weigh them against each other, which way do you go? Which one can you trust? For me, I have to lean into the nature and the character of God. You know, I encourage you, if there's something you don't understand, all I can say is throw your life and your faith into the nature and character of God. It won't disappoint you. It won't let you down. It will bring you through His promises a yes and amen, and He will have His way in your life. It may not be in the timing you expect. It may not be the way you expect, but He will bring you through because He's a good Father, He's a good Shepherd, and He answers our prayers. He answers every prayer. That is why the most valuable place in your house is where you meet with God, because nothing else can compare with growing in your relationship through prayer with God.